1: As we close the week out here today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Gary takes us back to Romans chapter 11 and 12. It's our final look at the doxology of Paul next. at reformedheritage.org. This is Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Pastor Gary Wagner will take us back to chapter 11 and 12 as we take a final look at our little mini-series called Doxology. Now, Pastor Gary has been working his way through Romans, and as we find ourselves in chapter 11, we find ourselves looking at Paul's praise to God for all that he's done for us. This amazing theology that he's laid out for us from chapter 1 to chapter 10. And today, it's our final look at this praise that Paul brings to God. And an example and illustration for you and I as to how to praise God as well. Here's Pastor Gary with today's Abounding Grace.
2: Younger people, do you think, hey, I remember the first time I heard, who made you? God did. Probably the most important of any one lesson anyone can ever learn. If you do not learn that lesson, you can't learn any other lesson. And God sent parents to teach that to you. That God made you so that he would begin his work in your life. You've had difficulties in your life, I'm sure. Maybe God brought you through seasons of rebellion through which he humbled you and brought you to a sweeter place like Psalm 23 talks about, the green pastures of his word beside the still waters where we enjoy his presence and his peace in our life. Do you think of the depth of the riches of his wisdom and his knowledge in your life, in the life of your spouse, in the life of one another as we have occasions to share or and I fear this is the case with me I think on the cares of this life my personal cares the glamour of this world in some respects and that makes us forget all the ways God has been wise and knowledgeable and sovereign and powerful in directing all the details of our lives but he brought us to a place where we embraced Christ and we begin to Walk with God. Don't forget the difficulties through which God has brought you. Remember these things. Don't forget the blindness from which he delivered you at certain times in your life. Remember when you were blind? You thought you could see. Remember all the excuses that you used to make and how you would say to yourself, I'm going to go here one more time but I won't do it again. And you thought you could see, but God came to you one day and showed you, you were blind. All these ways and workings of God's wisdom in your life, they're all worthy of praise, beloved. Look at these things. Think on them. Think of the way God's plan. For your life is take into account your particular propensities, your particular circumstances, even your particular sins. What are we supposed to do when we stand before this abyss of the riches of God's wisdom and knowledge? But to worship Him and to never forget it. Some of you may have been born in areas where there are few or no churches. Some of you have been born in a time of life in your extended family where you never heard the gospel. It was never even a consideration. And yet, somehow, God brought you, as it says in Psalm 95, where you would hear his voice. What are you supposed to do with this? You are to worship him. Turn with me to Psalm 143. This is an eminently practical thing to do. You may say, worship? Okay, come on now, pastor. I've got to do laundry. Come on, I've got to change another diaper. I've got to mow the lawn. And we put those pressures on ourselves. What did David do when he was troubled and overwhelmed? Psalm 143, 4. David here has been dealing with his enemies And he has asked for the Lord to hear his prayer. And then he says, when he looks out at his enemies, therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me and my heart within me is desolate. Have you ever felt like that? Just feeling like you could pull out your hair. You feel desolate. I'm all alone. Where is everyone? No one is here to help me. Things are terrible. Verse 5, David says, I remember the days of old, and I meditate on all thy works. I muse on the work of thy hands. What does David do when he finds himself in trouble and sorrowful? He thinks about God. He thinks about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised to do. Notice what that meditation leads to. Verse 6. Stretch out my hands. I stretch out my hands to you. Now David still has enemies that he's dealing with. So please, when you read the Psalms, remember that when David makes this transition, transition, as he almost always does from anxiety or fear or worry or despair to praise, it's not like God came to him like a genie and just went poof and all of his enemies were killed, they were still there. Job, when God came to him and revealed his glory to him, he still had boils, he still had dead children, and everything he had was gone. And yet, what was God doing? God's ways, God's work, the abyss, the depths of the riches of his wisdom, his knowledge, his plans, his working them out, And how he has worked them out leads to what? Praise. Stretching forth hands to him and calling out to him. It doesn't mean all of our troubles go away. No, it's usually something even better. Think of the one thing you wish in your life. If just one good thing could change, I would be happy. Just this one thing. If I could have this, be this, lose this, gain this, feel this, go here, go there. If I could just have this one thing, life would be better. Let me tell you what that one thing is. It is the same thing for every single person that is made in the image of God. It is a clear view of God himself. Clearer knowledge of his mercy of his faithfulness, his love, his truth. Because if you do not have that, he can give you the one thing you think you need. And many people have that one thing, and they are in hell. Because the one thing we need is not what we, in our selfishness and self-absorption and pity parties, think we need. The one thing we need, as David says here, even though I've still got enemies... And my spirit is overwhelmed. I am thinking about what God is doing and has done. It is God who brought these enemies here. So he must be doing something to deal with them. God must be going to strengthen me. God must be going to be my shield and my protector. So I mused on God's words. And I thought on what God has done and how glorious he is. And I stretched out my hands to him because that was the one thing I needed. I don't need the memories to be gone. I don't need my health to be better, my money to increase. I don't need any of that. That's not the primary thing. What I need is to reach out my hands and praise to the God of glory and of grace. And to stand and look at the depths of his riches of wisdom and knowledge. And then, worship him. Beloved, we're not as joyful as we should be as Christians. I'm as guilty as anyone else of this. And there's one simple reason for this. And it has nothing to do with our circumstances. Nothing. You may say, well, you don't know mine. I might say, well, I may know them more than you think. But even if I don't know any of your circumstances, your circumstances are not preventative of joy because joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Joy comes from God and fellowship with Him through Jesus Christ and meditating on His Word and walking in obedience with Him. This is where joy comes from. So if we don't have joy, there's one reason for it, and one only. It is because we are not musing on God's Word. We're not thinking about the great things He has done for us. We're not with the Apostle, praising God for the depths of the riches of His wisdom and knowledge. And not praising God is simply plain foolishness. Why? Why? because god dwells in the praises of his people and if we don't praise god if we're not adoring him if we're not telling him how much we love him and why we love him and thanking him for what he has done for us if we are not praising him we will not be joyful it is an absolute law of the universe my friends And if you are not praising him and you say you are joyful, it is a lie and you deceive yourself. You've allowed the world to deceive you. If you think you're joyful and you didn't praise God this week, you are living a fairy tale. Because scripture says, in thy presence is fullness of joy and out of your right hands are pleasures forevermore. You know, instead of our troubles making us complain, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? I don't deserve this. Why have you given me this life? Why did you give me this husband? Why did you give me these children? Why did you give me this boss? Instead of asking any of that and thinking of ourselves, we ought to be asking, Lord, You're obviously drawing near to me with things I don't like, but I do need them. What are you teaching me? Where do you want me to bow to you? Where do I need to draw closer to you? Where do I need to repent? Where do I need to change? You see, if we don't ask those questions, we're never going to call upon God. And if we don't call upon God, we will never, never, never be joyful. Now back to Romans 11. There's just so much here, and it's difficult to take all this in. That's why there's going to be probably three more sermons on this. Paul says, how unsearchable are his ways and his judgments past finding out. Now that pretty much stands by itself. It doesn't need any long commentary except... We do need to take it very seriously. And the prime reason I think this is said to us is so that we will not give God's works just five minutes of our thinking. You're not going to be a happy Christian if you only think about God on Sunday afternoons. It's not going to work. You are not going to be a happy Christian if you think five minutes of devotions and 23 hours and 55 minutes of doing my own thing is good enough. Okay, I'll certainly give God five minutes. That's not going to work. Why? Because he is in his presence is the fullness of joy. It is our privilege. It is our responsibility. It is our joy to draw near to him and to praise him. And to notice here, when we start thinking about God's judgments, his decrees, his decisions, respecting men and nations like Jews and Gentiles, would anyone have ever thought, hey, do you know how God is going to save the world? Well, he's going to take stubborn and rebellious Jewish people who are stiff-necked and have been from the beginning. And as Stephen asked about them in Acts chapter 7, which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted and killed? God is going to take that people and he is going to keep a lot of true God-centered faith in the world. And then he's going to make the Jews the incubator of the Messiah. Then when he comes into this world, God is going to cast away the majority of them for their belief, their unbelief and wickedness, and then he's going to go with the Gentiles. Then he's going to save all of these peoples, the, the Gentiles who have been in darkness for a millennia, tree worshipers, human sacrificers, vain philosophers. And he's going to save the mass of the Gentile world and bring in the fullness of the Gentiles, And then those people back there, the Jews, who seem to be cast away and forgotten and seemingly have no hope, who are schemers and connivers and warmongers and all of these things, they are going to be provoked to jealousy and God is going to use the blessings the Gentiles are enjoying to provoke his former people so that Jew and Gentile together are saved in one body under Christ the head. Now, please understand, if that wasn't in Scripture, if I came to you and I said that, you would most likely look at me and think, I was a lunatic. For how unsearchable are God's judgments. His ways are past finding out. But please... That only means we are supposed to study. If a teacher comes to you, young people, and I had a teacher do this to me one time, he said, you know what? There's no one, no way anyone here is going to be able to master this subject. I don't even remember what the subject was, to tell you the truth. But I had a teacher who said to the whole class, This is going to be difficult, I think he said, for most of you. I remember thinking to myself, and it was pure arrogance, not for me. So when he said that, it stimulated me. I'm going to master this. I'm going to show that teacher he cannot outdo my big old brain. Of course, stupid and arrogant, okay? I don't even remember what the outcome of that class was. I just remember the incident. And when God says, my ways are unsearchable, and my judgments pass finding out, what he is saying to us is, try, and not in a challenging way, to study these things. You're never going to exhaust them. God says heaven is too big to exhaust all the riches of my dealings with you and all of my movements in your life. Some of you may have been brought through horrifying mazes of sin and blindness before God brought you out. Your stories, if you told them here today, would be incredible to us to see how God brought you out of that. He used that. To bring you here to where you are today. Others of you would say, I don't have a story like that. All my life God has confirmed me in his mercy and in his covenant. And truly I've never known a time when I have not loved the Lord Jesus. And some think that's really boring for God to have worked in your individual life so you would never go through these mazes, so you would never go through these dark periods. And how wicked it is when we grow up in the church as young people and then we think, well, I'm just going to step my foot into that maze for a while. I'm going to put my foot in the water of the world for a while. After all, I know where the shore is. I can always make it back. As you were pulled out, half drowned later, sputtering, wondering, why was I such a fool? I was like a beast before you, O God. You gave me life in your covenant and in your mercy and in your love from my earliest days and I said, you know what? I want to kiss the world for a while. And then... I can always come back to you later. Do you know why we think like that? It is because we have never given ourselves seriously to studying God's judgments or his ways. So don't think when Paul says there in verse 33, they are past finding out. Why would he say that? I've studied them after all. No, the reason that is said is so that we will give our entire lives to studying them. That every businessman at the end of their day asks, now what was God doing in my life today? How did God work through my boss, through this salesperson, through this snafu that happened during the day? What was God doing? You see, we think, well, wait a minute, We bought in this dichotomy of life, and we think God is over here with the spiritual stuff, but over here is all the secular. No, no. God is everywhere. Didn't you learn the second lesson of your children's catechism? Where is God? God is a spirit, and He is everywhere in our businesses, our homes, our schools. Ask, how did God work in my life today? How did he shape me? What pressures is he bringing? Instead of saying, why do I have to go back to work tomorrow? Say, Lord, I'm going back because I know you have a purpose for me being there. So you're going to work out the details. You see, that is the way we're supposed to think. We are supposed to study God's providences. Why did I get injured? Why did I lose my job? Why did I hear about this great job when I already had a job? Why did God do all of this? It is so that we see God's majesty and the reasons to praise him in everything we do so that we can be happy in everything we do by praising God. And if you forget everything else today, please don't forget this. If you are not a regular praiser of God, you will not be regularly happy. And any happiness that you do find will be false happiness. And it it will only be like a drug to make you feel better for a while. And then it goes away. And then you've got to have another drug to make you feel better for a while. And then it goes away. And you've got to have another drug. Beloved, please don't ever forget, God made us to praise Him. He made us to be happy in praising Him, blessing Him, worshiping Him. Amen. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at two more reasons we should glorify God, taken from these verses 33 through 36. Let's, let us pray. Father God, your word is our treasure and we know that without it we would have little understanding of you this world and ourselves. Thank you Lord that through the study of Romans we have been shown the absolute necessity of biblical doctrine and how it all relates to your redemptive work in our lives and without which we would not know how to live to please you. Help us to repent where we need to repent and to live lives in praise to you, for this must be our ultimate goal as your redeemed people. May you be glorified in all we do, say and think, for Christ's sake. Amen.